I'm Bryce Butler from Access Ventures, and this is More Than Profit, a show where I talk with founders, investors, entrepreneurs, and leaders of all kinds about living and working with purpose, how they do it, and why. My guest this week is a woman whose entire life has been one of service. From the Foreign Service at an early age to now her role as the Senior Vice President at the Mission Investors Exchange, Melanie Audette shares with us the vital role of catalytic capital, but also the need for continued education as we work to build the field of impact investing. On both ends of the spectrum, people are either skeptical about impact washing and the money that is flooding into the space, or skeptical that all this will amount to is more do-gooder capital that is concessionary at best. Melanie sees great promise in the evolution of this space and is more excited than ever for what lies ahead. But as she says, as long as we show up and build trust. A lesson that she learned from an early age through the help of many mentors that helped shape her outlook on the world. I actually had to wait until my 21st birthday to, um, you know, complete the process of being able to um, enter government service. And so I started my career as um, as a baby, in a sense, but that gave me an advantage because I was able to be in um, the presence of a lot of great thinkers and really great networkers, um, you know, foreign service cocktail parties at a very young age. And, um, and, and so I, I think that started to drive me down this journey that has given me a really broad perspective on my work in really my work of service, because that's how I, I feel about what I do. I, I, think of myself as living a life of service. Mm. Well, and so how did you, how did you get drawn to that? So 21 to make that decision and, and to pursue that, how did you say, I'm going to go, I'm going to go do the foreign service. Like what was, what was the driver in that? And, and, and how did you get there even to begin with? Well, it's a story probably longer than we have <laughs> um, for this interview, but I'll just say that I was at a point in my young life where I sat down on the sofa with a notebook and said, what are the goals for me in this life? I already had two children at that point in time and um, was really struggling to take um, to think about how I as an individual um, who was quite ambitious, but who had started with some, um, I'll just say, um, more opportunities than the rest of us. And that includes some barriers that I had faced early in my life. Um, how do I, how do I take being this young person and really make a difference and fulfill those goals that I explicitly wrote out when I was like 20 years old and, um, through my work at a large, um, uh, law firm in Philadelphia, I had some incredible mentors who helped me to access the individuals and the information that I needed in order to uh, find my way to work in Washington, first in the Office of Caribbean Affairs and worked on Haiti and um, and uh, then was able to go overseas after after a couple of years in D.C. Wow. What, a, what an interesting time to also work in Haiti. Uh, I mean, I think a lot going on in the world in the Caribbean at that point in, in human history, too. So, uh, but what a, what a powerful story, because I think what I, what, I, what I love is 
the thread that I've heard from a lot of a lot of the guests that we've had around someone in their life that mentored them and that helped them think through these things, that the fact that you actually thought to sit down and to write out these goals, like what do I want to do? What do I want to be? Despite maybe what the circumstances were before, what what do I want my life to be like and what do I want to live towards? That's it's pretty powerful, especially at 20 years old. I mean, what an impressive thing to think about uh, and hopefully an encouragement to people like, you know, 20 years old, it's never too late. 25 years old, it's never too late. 30 year old, 50 years old, it's never too late to kind of take stock of what it is you want to do and be in the world and, and try to pursue that. So really, really neat. What, so I'm a big believer, Bryce, in passing it on. Yeah. Um, and so take I take that work very seriously around um, mentoring others because I think it's really important for all of us to pass along um, that that kind of guidance. Yeah. Um, and is that something that helped steer you towards philanthropy? Because um, in the moments that I've known you over the last half a dozen years, uh, from Indiana grant makers to now your work at Mission Investors Exchange, that's generally been a, an ethos that I've experienced uh, in the, the few moments that we've had where you want to really help people think through XYZ. And so you're really trying to help them uh, maximize what it is they want to do or be uh, in the world. Is that, is, that, is that a thread that helped kind of move you from even the foreign service into your work in philanthropy at all? It is. Um, my work in Indiana included helping young people to understand philanthropy initially um, through our work with the Youth Philanthropy Initiative of Indiana and also um, after school clubs for kids like second through fourth graders, never too young to learn. And then also um, my work in, in Seattle with some nonprofits, working with individuals who had similar challenges, um, worse challenges, I would say, than, than what I had experienced. So yes, and it's about um, believing in yourself, but also um, looking at not only problem solving, but finding opportunities where they might not really um, look like they're available initially. And that does translate into impact investing and being able to identify the people that you want to work with, those who you can build trust with. This is especially important um, in the current environment where even, you know, ESG is such a hot topic. Um, you have to find, you have to take the time to make relationships and build trust. It's essentially important. Um, and that includes intermediaries, the service providers that you use, um, and even um, with the focus, um, rightly so, on racial equity and trying to find diverse managers and um, supply chains that provide opportunities for others. Um, it's it's you can't um, leapfrog the steps of creating real authentic relationships. Mm. Um, because it takes that to build trust. I think that's great, which I think is a great is a good segue into kind of the work you're doing today. Uh, I, I'm familiar with Mission Investors Exchange um, as a member and and have been for a while, but um, I think I think I've been around since it emerged, like the PRI network and the Mission Related Investors Network. So, if you could take a moment, just given where you are in your role as the senior vice president at the Mission Investors Exchange. Help help our listeners understand what what is the Mission Investors Exchange, um, and and then I think a good follow up to that is what what is it, and then why is it an important organization, especially right now, 
uh, as we as we look at the the landscape of finance, community development, philanthropy, why is it essential and important that Mission Investors Exchange uh, exist? The organization is a is a nonprofit. It's a network of um, mission oriented investors. It grew out of a meeting of um, individuals that represented foundations of different sizes and types that had a common goal of deploying program related investments in in communities, and that brought them past just being grant makers as institutions. Um, over the years, the um, tools that have been identified and created to um, to deploy capital from different sources within the foundation, for instance, and along different themes with different rates of um, risk and return and impact, um, our organization has evolved into still serving primarily foundations, but of other family offices, sometimes some individuals have been involved in corporations, um, our members as well. Um, the, we have been evolving along with the field. The services that are provided are not just transactional services, like you have access to this webinar or you have a reduced fee at this conference, but they're really relational services as well, because a key part of being a network is to do what I just described, i.e. it's an opportunity to connect with others that have common goals with you and build those relationships that are so essential in both finding other resources and providers um, and even investments um, and helping each other to think and um, be supportive of the field of creating um, for instance, impact measures or intermediary organizations or funds. And so it's um, it's really a community within a community, not only the community being philanthropy, but also the community that's impact finance as well. And increasingly, there's just more and more of a diversity of our members. The roles, for instance, that our members play have moved to maybe just social investment team members, if there is such a thing at foundations or CEOs of small foundations. Um, but it's you know increasingly more finance and investment staff, more program officers have been have come into these conversations, which yeah. is a good and healthy thing for our field. Oh, for sure. And I think uh, it just there's a vital need for an organization like Mission Investors Exchange. Um, you know, first and foremost, I think one of the conversations that I have with a lot of people is there is a there's an innate desire, at least that I found, for people to align who they are with where their money's going. I think I think there is fundamentally people want that, but I think oftentimes. Maybe they don't know how. Well, they may, they, they may not think it's possible because they you know they believe okay I've got to go maximize profit so therefore if I'm doing that it's going to have negative externalities that I just have to turn a blind eye to. So if they if they don't believe that and they actually think okay it's possible to to align our values with with our investments or our programs or whatever um, they don't they don't know what the next step is. Um, and I think that's just that you know it's just human nature. It's like okay I'm, I'm excited but what do I do now? <laughs> <laughs> and then they turn around and a lot of times the people speaking are the ones that are, you know, around the corner on the marathon, you know, and they, 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 
it's hard to translate sometimes back to that person taking that first turn. And I think that's what I've always appreciated about organizations like Mission Investors Exchange. It's really meeting those, those funders, those foundations, those people, those organizations where they are and resourcing them and helping them take that next step, helping them understand that, it's, that they don't have to like avoid that iceberg in the first turn, but they can, they can incrementally start turning the ship. So that's what I love about it. Um, and so I think one of the things I would love is um, even just to back up, because I think when folks like you and I get to talking, uh, we can assume that everybody understands what we're talking about. <laughs> so I found on the, on the podcast, sometimes it's helpful to define terms. One of the terms you used, I, I actually do feel sometimes people don't understand, which is a program-related investment. Um, I, and I think especially you and I have talked about this before, Louisville, Kentucky, formerly in Indiana. I think in mid-America, there still is a lack of understanding around what that is and how that can be used. Can you can you talk to us a little bit? What is a program-related investment? Um, the best way to describe it is that um, the best way to learn about it is like literally to go to the IRS's website. And um, you can't do that for a lot of the other tools that we talk about as far as, you know, what is an impact investment? Mm. Even, you know, what is ESG? What does that mean? Um, but, it, and that's because it's one of the very few um, um, tools that foundations and specific, specifically private foundations can use that's codified by the IRS. And there are, um, there's a very clear definition for what, what a PRI is. In practice, um, a PRI is a tool that is, um, uh, I'll just say grant like, because you can, um, uh, uh, apply uh, funds deployed in PRIs against the charitable distribution that a private foundation has to make each year. Um, so, but but the tool in practice is can be in the form of um, debt or equity or even guarantees. There are really clear examples of how these can be deployed. Um, but the key is that they have to be documented as um, being in alignment with your foundation's charitable mission. They can't be used for lobbying purposes. There are uh, those usual kind of check marks that the IRS likes to see um, from private foundations. Um, the history is that they have been used, they were used initially primarily in. Um, uh, affordable housing and access to capital um, to overcome redlining. Um, and, you know, the Ford Foundation was really key to, um, you know, beginning uh, uh, this opportunity for private foundations. Over time, those, um, you know, what you can do with a PRI has been expanded um, technically to be to being able to um, get dollars out that are mission, uh, oriented. Mm -hmm. And that's, 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 that's essentially important for private foundations to remain yeah. within the, the codification. 
And I love, I love that you sent people to the IRS website because I would agree. I think <laughs> very few, very few times can you do that. Their but attorneys it, and accountants appreciate it too. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. But I think, I think you're right. I mean, there is a very clear definition on the IRS website as to what a program-related investment is. Now, the nuance, the difficulty, the technical complexity is in how that's applied. Um, and and I think that's what I've appreciated about like the Mission Investors Exchange or like you said, relationship building. Because ultimately, I think that's what the purpose of MIE is, is to bring people together who care about this. Now, they may not have the same mission, but the practices or the principles that I've learned or I'm using might be helpful in something that you're working on. So you're in, you're on the board of a the Energy Foundation. I have to believe the financial models or principles, if you will, of somebody even working on affordable housing could be applied in some fashion, you know, if those best practices are learned and shared across um, to, to groups like the Energy Foundation. Um, and that's what I think is super, super important because in mid-America, Louisville, Kentucky, Indiana, well, you, you name it, there's a, there's a fear, a fear of the unknown. And I think, uh, and, and in the big, you know, fiduciary responsibility that many boards and uh, investment committees feel or staff, senior staff, the responsibility and the, the, le- the liability, if you will, that they face, uh, oftentimes they're reticent to, to try these new things. And, and I think even though it's very clear on the IRS website what it is, the technical application, the, the devil's in the details, so to speak, is where it gets really tricky. Um, and that's where I think it's good to kind of learn from folks that have gone before um, and to kind of see how they did that and what, what they learned, what private letter, letter rulings are already out there that have been tested and, and supported uh, with the IRS, uh, which is really technical, but I think super, super important as we continue to build the field. Yeah, on that, you know, foundations have a unique place in that they can do more than a lot of other investors. And the codification of CareEyes really gives them that flexibility. The, um, you know, the idea here is that for P- to count as a PRI, this has to be an quote investment that no other regular investor would make. You know, if the the purpose is not um, primarily to make money for the foundation, the purpose is a mission purpose, and so that gives foundations the space which they've always had with their grants to be real innovators. You know, we used to tell these stories in philanthropy before there was a lot of visibility to PRIs or any of the other impact investing tools around how foundations have this opportunity to fund something before anybody else knows that it's important. And we used to use the example of the white lines on the sides of the roads Apparently, a foundation first funded, like yeah. putting white lines on the sides of the road. <laughs> you know, kind of. Um, wow. You know, there are a lot of examples about around that where, and even with some of the um, the work around um, uh, uh, um, social impact bonds. You know, people say, "Oh, you know, we 
you know, well, do these work or don't they? The idea is that you're kind of getting in there into a space where if you can open the door, others can follow on because you're able to prove a point with a lot of this work that this is really important. Nobody else can get into that space because their motivation is, for instance, a financial return initially. They're more restricted by that, whereas foundations could and should really um, be able to do this kind of work in order to unleash other capital. And sometimes it takes some time, you know, to be able to prove an innovation point and foundations do have that flexibility. Which I think is great. I think Gates once said like that philanthropic capital should be some of the riskiest capital. You know, it should be testing new ideas. Something might prove itself scalable and, you know, but at the, at the genesis of it, it's like, I don't know, this may or may not work. Um, and so that's where I think philanthropic capital can get really creative. Uh, and I have to, you, so you said something about the evolution of, of, of MIE. And I have to believe part of that was, you know, historically it was the program related investors network and the mission investors related investors in the kind of the merging of the two. Uh, so we've talked about PRIs on the other side, you mentioned like that a lot of individuals and even corporate groups are getting involved. And I have to believe that's probably because the field is being developed even further around mission-related investing, um, where there's a lot more uh, depth, um, whether that's you know definition around metrics and defining and measuring impact, uh, ESG, and just the emergence of people interested in aligning value investing. Um, help, help us, so what is, what is mission-related investing and how does that differ from, from program-related investing? Um, yeah, so the PRI Makers Network merged in 2012 with the More for Mission campaign. Yes, and that was a campaign to encourage endowments to devote, I think it was 2%, don't quote me, might, might have been three, but it was a very small percentage um, uh, of their endowment funds towards mission. Um, and that did start us off on the pathway. The um, the field evolution into, well, just to, to answer your question around MRIs, um, they are not codified and they have been called different things. And over time, they've been wrapped up under this umbrella that includes PRIs um, that's called impact investing. So there is a lot of vagueness and you know, murkiness about what an MRI is. I think for the sake of this interview and for people to be able to understand what you can do, um, you know, it's the perception is that this is money oftentimes that's carved out of an endowment to be able to be measured um, separately or differently. There's a fantastic um, a uh, program that we just did with the Ford Foundation uh, about how they created, um, they carved out of their endowment. Um, Harvard Business School did this two-part case study um, that I highly recommend folks listen to on how that actually can happen, that, you know, you take an endowment, you carve out a piece of it. Sometimes that carve out includes space just for PRIs, sometimes for more mission-related, um, endowment-related opportunity um, that includes um, something of great purpose. For instance, we want to take this part of the endowment and um, and have a very robust effort around diversifying managers. Um, you know, 
every foundation has different sources of capital for their impact investing programs. And it's just a matter of there are lots of sources of capital in a foundation or in a corporation, because you mentioned this too for corporations. Um, what do we want to create as the program? What's, what, what of all of these sources of capital do we want to be able to devote towards various levels of risk and impact return and financial return and learning return, really? So those are decisions that boards and fiduciaries have to make, but, and there are an incredible number of models, and I would say probably very few strategies um, are consistent across foundations. And that includes how they staff, oh, how yeah. they do the work. It's it's all over the board. There's no one model that fits every foundation. Um, though the more people coming on board and the newer folks, um, you know, they really have an advantage because they can lean back on some of the work of um, Ford Foundation and MacArthur and Packard and, you know, a lot of Kresge, all of, a lot of the big ones have been doing this for for a very long time, um, as well as Gond and a lot of the small um, Vader philanthropies. You know, they've been in it from the beginning too. The newcomers have an advantage because they can see, um, they can integrate across their foundation, for instance, from the start, instead of having you know just this very small social investment teams. And now those foundations are doing more to integrate across their organizations. Um, newcomers really have an advantage because you can build with the education, you can build it into your foundation from the start of your program. Yeah. And that's great because I think one of the things Liesl and I were from Blue Haven last week were talking about was that, that idea of um, building this in, integrating it from the beginning. But the starting point being like asking yourself very fundamental questions, which is which is what I'm hearing you even talk like, what are you, what are you trying to do in the world? Like what, what is it that you care about? But, but also what is, and this was, this is, I think an important thing for people to remember, what do you need the capital to do? Uh, and I think, I think sometimes we, I've, I've talked with folks and they, they're almost embarrassed to ask that question, but I think it's, it still is an important question. Like what does your board expo expect? What do you expect? What, what does the community expect? And so I think, what are you trying to do in the world? What, do, what does the capital need to do in the world? So from a risk and return perspective, uh, I, I loved the notion you said about learning. Like, what can we learn? What can we learn? What can we, what can we share? Um, because I think that's another part of this as well. And then from that, you develop a strategy, right? And then I think fundamentally what I love uh, in, in these conversations is at the end of the day, what we're talking about is money as a tool. It's a resource to help us accomplish something. And that something is defined not by money, although money is a part of it. Uh, it's de 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 defined by kind of all these different things, stakeholders and vision and mission and boards. And so I think that that's really, really, really helpful um, because I think sometimes uh, it's, it's really easy to kind of separate out. This is what the money does. Go, go to Wall Street get get us good good return and then you know on a google sheet or in quick quickbooks shoot out okay here's our operating budget for the year and there's really no discussion between the two um which i've got to believe is super fun for you to to be in the room with people and have, <laughs> have them see this and understand this and start to experience that um so you've been with mie for a while sorry were you gonna say something 
Yeah, I just wanted to respond to that because um, another really key question for people to think about is what can I do that others can't? And then the follow on is really it's it's relational. So what am I doing in the context of what others are doing? And this is where some of our place-based impact investing ecosystem building work comes in because um, an individual investor has a lot of flexibility, say that a large foundation um, or institutional investor doesn't necessarily have. Um, so those those two questions around, you know, your work, but your work not in a silo. And then, you know, your work in respect to what type of capital you have, and that capital is inclusive of relationship capital, because relationship capital, especially with our efforts around really, um, you know, looking to build on the wisdom within communities, and and in end user markets that's being shown to us so clearly by 60 decibels these days, um, you know, that relationship capital for anyone seeking investment is really important. But on the flip side, for people who want to deploy capital, you can't be on the ground every day in the communities that you're trying to invest in. So those relationships um, and for some of our members really shifting you know, power to communities, um, that relationship capital can't be underestimated, the importance yeah. of that capital. No, that's, those are really good points. That's great. So as we think about uh, the work that you do at MIE um, and working with, with individuals and corporations and families and foundations and communities and stakeholders, um, on the, on the non-program, on the mission, like on the endowment side, uh, I feel like there's been a lot of work over the last 10 or so years to really try to begin to bring in some of the, the mainstream capital main, um, into this, this world. Uh, ESG is really picked up. It's really hot and popular. There's a lot of, uh, you know, financial practices. What are you, what are you seeing, um, whether it's endowments or individuals or corporate, what are you seeing um, r really excites you? Uh, about this alignment of capital that's on this end of the spectrum really targeting return and trying to give people a picture of like, a, you, you don't have to divorce the two impact and financial returns. They can actually be uh, possible together. What do you, what really excites you and what are you seeing um, out in, out in the world in that space? Um, one of the things that excites me, excites me more with more impact measures. So I'll just um, put that out there because there have been, you know, multiple global efforts around identifying impact and what that really means. Um, you know, assuming we feel satisfied with the resources that we have on impact measures, um, I would say that have, being able to scale the visibility to um, really impactful um, companies, funds um, is is what excites me, and in many cases that means developing more um, intermediaries and visibility to those intermediary um, entities. Be and 
really being able also to democratize this a little bit more so that there's more access to platforms that, that allow investors to invest. Um, on the ESG side, um, what excites me this week is, um, um, you know, being able to access through Morningstar um, on the, um, you know, funds because they bought Sustainalytics. So, you know, there's a lot more visibility to impact in the regular Morningstar platform for advisors who may not have been focused on ESG before. It's it's a lot more accessible to them and we know that their clients are asking for it, but um, being able to have this more normalized for the advisors that oftentimes create the barriers for individuals um, and even foundations to do this work, I think that is going to help a lot. Um, there have been efforts over the years um, by advisors to get into this space um, and many are motivated by the impact side, but then there are others who are motivated by getting additional client side. And so we, at MIE, we always like to say we, we play a key role in keeping the impact and impact investing. And for us, um, and for our foundation members in particular, um, that's really important. You know, really know what you're investing in, who you're investing with, um, and then what excites me as a side project, actually, that um, started out as a campaign to encourage and support high net worth women to become impact investors because of the good work of um, Ellen Remmer um, at the, um, the TPI, the Philanthropic Initiative in, in Boston. Um, she's been able to build out this platform called Invest for Better with curriculum for high net worth women and impact investing circles around the country because you know eventually you have to kind of put your feet where your mouth is i started with two other women here in seattle and invest for better circle we had i hadn't really worked with um individuals before because we're usually working with foundations and to see the progress from meeting to meeting these meetings are every month we have a different topic each month um and the action an activity that takes place in between these meetings as women learn they're switching out where their cash is spending the night they're talking with their advisors sometimes with some of the same responses <laughs> that um, really necessitate the um, education for uh, investment advisors um, and they're actively looking for investments and want to deploy their capital, you know, just seeing the rate of change um, as these individuals with, you know, significant resources learn, that's really exciting. And this isn't just happening here. I three started here in Seattle for the first time when I started mine with my partners here, um, Susan Fairchild and Bo Lee, but they're happening all over the country and even internationally as well. So that's that fantastic. is very exciting to me. Yeah, and you hit on something with with the education piece because it's still it's the power dynamics around money are are still really um, uh, disgraceful is one word I can think of. <laughs> Just because I think uh, you know when you think about education and the people that actually 
are supposedly the ones that know everything about money, you know, like the, the wealth advisors, the lawyers, the accountants. And so for high net worth individuals or investment committees or boards, oftentimes these are the people that are influencing very critical decisions. And so even all the things we've talked about, the history of the Ford Foundation, the, the, the shoulders of giants that so many foundations now today could stand on, there still is uh, a lot to be done because there's there's a there's a an, a lack of awareness uh, around this this space still with with many of those advisors, uh, a lack of understanding, a lack of willingness, um, and so I think the work that I think MIE does and you with with this initiative are doing is to help educate people uh, to 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 take control for themselves uh, the the vision and the purpose of, of their money in a really powerful way. Uh, and I have to believe it's super fulfilling to see those light bulbs go on and those women become activated to go do some great things in their community. Yeah, it is. And, you know, things are changing too. And so what you know today is not necessarily what's going to be available tomorrow. Um, you've probably seen in some of your conversations on on this um platform that um, when you get excited about investment, you want others to come along. And so you're, we're seeing our members create investment opportunities for other investors. You know, this um, term catalytic capital was really, you know, it's it, birth is really with um, MacArthur, Omidyar School and other leaders in this space. There is a real place, not just for edu for foundations to educate each other, like in the peer learning that we do at Mission Investors Exchange, but also to prompt new funds to be created um, and um, new blended capital um, structures and capital stacks in general that bring in lots of different types of capital, including capital from uh, government. For example, alongside corporations, CRA, CRA dollars. I mean, I think everything Lots, over the last, yeah, yeah, over the last four years, just I mean, and just now with the new administration and just the focus, recognizing, okay, government has a role. What is that role, and how do we how do we better align? You know, because there was a conversation around where's CRA going, you know, and mm -hmm. opportunity zones, the confusion with the rollout there, and just this ability to kind of stack and align capital. And just, a, a, you know, so there's a lot of really cool tools. And there's now a revenue-based financing or profit sharing or co-ops like they're working on mm -hmm. at Zebras Unite and really, really cool stuff. And I think uh, keeping up with that. So the evolution word that you used is a really uh, appropriate one to kind of help make sure people are aware of, excited about, participating in uh, these really cool things. So we could, you and I could talk all day. Um, I wanted to ask you two kind of questions in parting. Um, because I think there's a, a conference I went to last year before COVID, uh, of course, but where there's this, all this excitement about this this space going mainstream. There's more capital moving in this in this direction, which I think is awesome because it's been the goal, and I think that should still remain the goal that we're aligning our impact with our money. Um, but I do think there's always going to be concern, and so I'd love to know from your perspective, from your seat, what gives you pause as we kind of look to 2021, 2022, what gives you pause? Um, and then what gives you hope? What gives you pause about impact investing and, and where where it's going? And and then what gives you hope uh, for the future? That's what gives me 
pause is um, those that don't have an expansive enough view of what impact investing can be. And I think that relates more to this, you know, an impact investor is in relation with every other type of investor. I, I, I know that there is a concern generally about quote impact washing, but I think that if we're concerned about impact washing, then we have an obligation and responsibility to press back on those who are the impact washers and get the most out of them for impact. So I would say, don't give up or don't say, well, that's just, you know, there's not enough impact there. Let's try and be more influential in order to um, to not give in to a lack of infrastructure, a lack of impact measurement, and a lack of really public will. Because we're seeing this from the public. We're seeing a desire to invest for the things that people want to see in the world, and especially with young people. You know, I won't, we don't have time to go into what happened with Robin Hood um, and last week, but we should be thinking about the will that um, individuals have and the power they have and take, take advantage of that. They, um, when those people can speak to back to power, as we've seen, they have been able to do, they can have an incredible influence and we should, um, we should help to support driving that in the ways that really serve um, communities and have community leaders speak up as to what that means to them. So that's really a bit of hope too in the same sentence, Bryce. No, I think I love it because I think the it's they're integrated. You know, I mean, what gives you pause is also something that, that you're passionate to help uh, solve for. And I think that's great because I think um, when I, when I was listening to you talk about, you know, what kind of gives you pause around impact washing, it's, it's a recurring thing that a theme around, hey, we, we haven't arrived. You know, I love the, the notion of evolution of MIE, evolution of thinking, but even like for Access Ventures, I would say we do our best and we're as aligned as we can be right now, but that doesn't mean tomorrow we couldn't be more aligned or more intentional or more measured or more. And so how are we always getting better um, and pressing towards that? I think that's that's the goal is like, let's Let's figure this out. Let's let's roll up our sleeves. Let's let's dive in with our with our team and our community and 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 get better at this. So, and bring up others. Exactly. You know, we need to be mentoring next. Me more so than you, Bryce, but need to oh. be mentoring next generation for sure. No, that's that's a that's a great word to go out on. The Mission Investors Exchange has some exciting work on the horizon, and just recently posted a public policy workshop that you can check out at missioninvestors.org. Thanks again for listening to More Than Profit. And if you've liked what you've heard, then do us a favor by subscribing and leaving us a review wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Bryce Butler with Access Ventures. Check out our work at accessventures.org. Thanks for listening.